Welcome everyone. We're excited to share some country wisdom with you. King Solomon had a thing or two to say about the path to wisdom. In Proverbs 4, he wrote, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Join us now for Country Wisdom. Kentucky, the Creation Museum. Actually, we have Bodie Hodge. Bodie Hodge is a writer. He's, well, he's a researcher, a biblical scholar. <laughs> he, he, he does so many things here. Bodie, we really are glad to be able to be with you today. Yeah, it's great to be on the show with you. It's a privilege that you took time out of your schedule. Yeah. You have written how many books? Oh, somewhere between 20 and 30. There's right. so many I've been involved in. But. Wow. Well, a couple I was hoping to focus on today, and I was pleased when you said, yeah, you'd do it, <laughs> is the Tower of Babel. Or Babel. What ba is the Babel, correct ba pronunciation? Hey, you, you wouldn't believe it, but that's the first chapter in the book. I had to explain <laughs> how, how you pronounce it. And, uh, you know, uh, Webster allows us to say it either way. Now, when I went to England and spoke on the subject of the Tower of Babel, they're like, it's Babel. <laughs> so apparently they say Babel over there in different places, but it's kind of a fun question. But yeah, we can say it either way here. There you go, see. <laughs> no, there's one right answer. I want to know what it is. <laughs> And then another, another book we'll get on to today is One Race, One Blood. Now this is, I tell you, this is a topic that to me is tearing the world apart right now. Oh, it sure is. And that's why I was glad you'd get in here and address it in a biblical fashion. So It's particularly interesting to me because uh, our daughter is Ethiopian. Oh, yeah. And you know, I, I adore her. I cannot imagine being closer to one. Yeah. I, in fact, she she tells me, she goes, I know I'm your favorite. You know, her, <laughs> her brothers know she's the favorite. But we completely, like, it's, it doesn't even matter that we don't match. Right, you don't think twice about it. No. Right. But we're in a culture that wants to divide that. That wants to say right. that is the most important thing about yes. her. The thing that's most right. important about me is that I'm white and she's black. She's African. And yet... To us, we're people, she's my daughter. Right. That's all that matters. Right, and see, that's what's happened. In our culture, we have been conditioned, we've been trained to start subdividing the one human race into a multitude of lesser races and, and higher and lower types of races based on the way you look. Now, that actually goes back, actually it was a little bit before Charles Darwin, people started separating people groups out. Uh, and, and that was really the wrong thing to do. Yeah, that, that's right. It we came have, with we, the scientific revolution. Right we, right, we have different cultures, we have different different backgrounds and things like that. Yeah, we do look slightly uh, different from each other. You guys don't look like me. <laughs> Thank goodness. <yeah. laughs> but, but the point is, yes, we do have variations, but that's a good thing. The problem was, is prior to Darwin, people started subdividing people by the way they look, skin tone, hair, eyes, and so forth. And next thing you know, by the time you get to Darwin, there was the higher and lower race concepts, and they started dividing them out in an evolutionary worldview. And as an evolutionary worldview has really started to dominate our culture, whether it's England, Australia, Canada, United States, all along the Western world, in fact, other parts of the world as well have been buying into this now, 
they've been subdividing people into higher and lower races because that's the kind of stuff that Darwin taught. And you know what, we're seeing those types of issues play out right here in our very backyard. You know, I thought it was interesting in Brazil, spent some time in Brazil, and there's, there's many white people, many black people, but they don't even seem to have the race thing. It's like they, you know, it just isn't a thing. Right, there's different forms. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've noticed. You know, when I was over in Sweden, you know, I saw a type of racism. When I was in England, I saw a type. When I was down in Peru, I saw a type. It was more the, the people in the city versus some of the people out in the up, up in the hillside in the mountains. It, it, it was intriguing seeing that. When I was in Australia, I saw a type. Um, you know, that, that actually kind of surprised me. I, I but, but we see this. But see, we've been conditioned for it. Uh, what, what we need to do is look past those kinds of things because there's one race. If we all go back to Adam and Eve, which we do, that's that's what God's word says. Um, then there's one race, the human's race. And if you actually go back to, you know, like an early Webster dictionary, you know, sometimes it'll say Adam's race, uh, you know, which is really significant. There is the human race. And yes, we have variations. That's a beautiful thing. It really is a wonderful thing. You know, I met people from all over the world and they are just amazing. Now, what, you realize what you're saying is shocking to some people who may be just hearing this. You, you've got to unpack this a little more. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Actually, what is odd nowadays is that what he's saying about only being one race, they would accuse him of being racist by right, saying, for saying that. that's one oh, race. Yeah, that there's only one right. race and it doesn't matter. Yeah, which is shocking because, you know, here we are, one race. You know, we're, we're one, one ultimate people, which means we're all sinners, which means we're all in need of Jesus Christ no matter what we look like. But let's go back to this. You know, when you go to the Bible, you go, you open it up, you get up there. God creates Adam uniquely. He, he made him from dust. but. Just because he was made from dust, that, that didn't mean he was full of life. God actually breathed the life into him. So his life came from God. He is made in the image of God. The woman, she was made from Adam's side, from a rib, flesh of, uh, of my flesh, bone of my bones. She also is made in the image of God, which gives us value over animals. It gives us value over plants. It gives us value over rocks and, and the moon and so forth. You know, we have an eternal value because we are made in the image of an eternal God. And see, that's one of the reasons it's so important. But we're in a culture where people rejected God and His Word. They want to throw the Bible out. They want to say, well, I don't believe the Bible. But here's a good question. And this is a question that, that when somebody objects to God and His Word anywhere, whether it's Genesis, whether it's in Matthew, you need to ask the question, by what authority do you object to God's absolute authority? Do you realize they're <laughs> stuck in a problem right there? Because it has to be a lesser authority because God is the greatest authority on every matter. What responses do you get when you ask that question? You know, usually I get deer Blank in the headlights. <laughs> I get people go, oh, well, I never really thought of that. Um, but that's what it is. That's, it, logically, that's called a, a uh, faulty appeal to authority or a false authority fallacy. You're appealing to man to be superseding God. So think about that. When you object to God, it's be, who, who do you appeal to? You appeal to yourself, yourself or someone else? Because you made else. yourself God. Right, and that's what You're it is. You're the ultimate authority. Right, you're elevating yourself to a God-like position. That's actually the religion of humanism. So that's what this comes down to. It is a battle over God and his word versus man and man's word, the religion of humanism. And God's always right. I just want people to know that. So I guess the question is, it started out just fine in the Garden of Eden. How did it fall apart? Yeah, well, you know, God, he, God's a perfect God, and he made everything perfect. And you know, that's what we expected from a perfect God was a perfect creation. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says every work of God is perfect. And that's what we got was a perfect creation. At the end of the creation week, God created everything in six days, rested on the seven. This, is, this isn't a problem for an all-powerful God to create everything in six days or to create man and woman. That's not a problem for him. It was perfect. Genesis 1:31 says God saw all that he had made and declared it very good. It really was perfect. Now, 
think about that for a second. We, it, it's tough for us to imagine a perfect world. You know, a world with no, no. death or bloodshed or cancer or heart problems or, or no baldness. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know, you probably had a good full head of hair there. But it, it really was perfect. But you see, Adam and Eve sinned against God. You know, they were given very few commands. You know, be fruitful, multiply. Uh, they were told not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a real tree. It's not an apple tree. You know, don't, you don't need to be confused with that. But when they ate from that fruit, they basically said, okay, God, we see what you said, but here's what we think. And therefore, they elevated their own thoughts to supersede God's word. They did the same thing. And it and, never works. And, and it doesn't work. And God cursed the ground. He cursed the animals. He sentenced man to die. That's why we see death and suffering. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, as, as a result of the ground being cursed, we need a new heavens and a new earth. That's why we need a savior in Jesus Christ to save us from sin and death. That's why we see tsunamis and horrible atrocities and all sorts of terrible things in our culture as a result of sin. There's, there's so many people though that think that's all God's fault. Everything we look at that's bad is God's fault. Your, yeah. your health problems is God's fault. Yeah. And it's God's fault. And you know what? That's what happens when people ignore Genesis chapter 3. You know, sometimes people look back, you know, and I see this in a lot of children's Bibles too. You know, God love the children's Bible writers. <laughs> love them. But, you know, a lot of them actually skip over the fall. Uh, you know, oh, God made the world. It's very good. It's perfect. Oh, then there's a flood. Then the Tower of Babel and they move forward. They skip the fall. The fall is so significant because the fall is the whole reason we need Jesus in the first place. It's the whole reason we need a new heavens and a new earth. It's a whole, the whole reason we need to, uh, a Savior, why we need to be redeemed. It all goes back to that particular point. I don't know if people realize this. Genesis chapter 3 is the pivot point of the whole Bible. I, I mean, imagine this. If Adam and Eve wouldn't ascend, well, all the rest of the, the Bible, you really wouldn't have needed all that. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, boom. God then begins solving that sin problem, and it's not fully solved until we get to Revelation 21 and 22, new heavens and a new earth, everything is consummated, it's all turned around. Really good point. My grandmother was number 11 in a family of 13 girls, and she sometimes felt lost in the crowd. Do you ever feel that way? With nearly 8 billion people in the world, it's easy to wonder if anyone even notices you're alive. But there is someone who notices. The Bible says God calls us by name. He knows you, knows your name. You're his child. If you'd like proof, go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org and request offer number 130 for this free pamphlet. There's not another you. There are so many Christians, not just the world at large, but Christians who kind of make most of Genesis, at least those first two chapters, it's like, well, that's not like the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible we can believe, especially the New Testament. Um, yeah. For some Christians, the, the entire Old Testament is suspect those first two chapters of Genesis, it's more like, well, that wasn't really meant to be scientific or truly historical. It's an allegory. And they separate it into a, a different category from the rest of Scripture. Right, and I've seen people do that. And, uh, you know, one, one of the reasons that I would suggest they're doing that is because they've been influenced by the world. You know, look at me. You know, I grew up in church. I went to Sunday schools, youth programs. But at the same time, I went to the state schools. And here's what I was hit at state schools. Big bang, millions of years, evolution. You evolved from lower apes. Um, you were hunters and gatherers. You finally got smart enough to, uh, to, to kind of start doing some other stuff. But 
um, that's what I've been drilled with. So a lot of Christians, they've been trained by the world. And then they come back and they look at Genesis and say, well, that doesn't match with all this big bang in millions of years. Well, maybe that's an allegory. Maybe I should reinterpret it. But you know what? Here's a, here's a good, good way to look at this. When it comes to Genesis 1, actually Genesis 1 all the way up to Genesis chapter 11, how did the other Bible writers take it? How did Jesus take it? Right. How did Peter, Peter obviously, obviously they Christ believed that story. That's he right. quoted. He did. In Matthew 19 and, and Mark chapter 10, Jesus go back and he quotes uh, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as literal history is the basis for the doctrine of marriage, for example. Mm-hmm. You see, marriage is a doctrine that goes back to the Bible. Clothing is a doctrine. Why do we wear clothes? You know, thank you for wearing clothes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you probably yeah. say the I same mean, thing about yeah, me. But. At my age, I look better clothes. <laughs> But, you know, that goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were originally naked. They, they wore no clothes. Yeah. Um, but then when they sinned, you know, they immediately realized that they're naked. Something's wrong. And so they went and they took fig leaves and sewed them together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I don't know if you've seen fig leaves, but it's like itchweed. <laughs> they were in a hurry. <laughs> you know, it'll cause a rash and all sorts of stuff. But those fig leaf coverings were not good enough. The punishment for sin was death. So the solution had to involve death. And the Lord stepped in. He sacrificed animals in Genesis 3.21 to cover that sin. That's where the doctrine of clothing comes from. And that's actually... The best example of pretension hypocrisy. Yeah. Those leaves. Yes, it it really was. I I want you to kind of focus a little more on the cover of this. Mm -hmm. One race, one blood. Yes. I mean... Right now, I look at Chicago and how many people they kill every day. There's a lot of blood being spilled, and they talk about it's all because of racism, you know, right. and, and uh, which is one blood. It, it's not, you know, right. it's my blood that's being shed out there. It's your blood. It's, Those are our relatives. It's our family, yeah, it's, which it's people can't a understand. sinful human nature that wants to have a hierarchy and especially wants to believe that whatever level I'm at, well, it's higher than your level. Uh, My uncle was a missionary, um, Vietnam, then the Philippines, and then uh, Rwanda. And he said in Rwanda, even among Christian pastors, he said he was a meeting of Christian pastors, and there was one from a particular tribe who simply flat out said, uh, Tutsis were born to rule. And he said, you know, Christianity isn't as old as the tribal warfares. And it's not just that area. Go to anywhere in the world, and the human tendency is to push someone down lower than me. Right, because we're sinners. Mm -hmm. You know, and and what that is, that is a corrupted understanding of dominion. You know, we're made in the image of a ruling God. He gave us something to rule over. Uh, He gave us the earth to rule over. But at the same time, now people now warp that because of their sinful minds. Now they want to rule over each other and and, and do that sort of thing. Terry and I have spent quite a bit of time filming in... in, uh, certain areas of Africa. And it's amazing, the slave trade in Africa were their people enslaving each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah, was, it's sinful human nature. It's sinful human nature, yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, that's where we are right now, but we're, the devil's doing a good job of dragging us down. Yeah, sadly he really is. But, you know, that's where we need to get back to God and His Word. You know, whether it's people in Chicago, whether it's people in Africa, we need to get back to God's Word. God's Word is the absolute authority. When people start to understand we're all one race, we all go back to Adam and Eve, we're all related, all of a sudden you start looking at people different. This is a family reunion right here. (laughs) You know, but sometimes I've had people say, but why do we look so different? You know, some people look, you know, darker skin. Some people have different eyes and so forth. You know, some people have lighter skin if you go to places like Norway and Sweden and so forth. And they say, why do we see this variation? Well, 
The Tower of Babel is actually significant for that. The Tower of Babel, if you, okay, just big picture, you have creation, you have the fall, then you have the flood. Only eight people survived the flood. They came off the ark. The Lord says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But Noah's descendants came together and built a city and tower, so let's not be scattered. And so here they are. They felt safer all being together, even though that's yeah. not what God had wanted. Yeah, they felt like that. They, they, they're actually trying to defy God's command. Was God going to let them get away with that? Not at all. So he came down, he confused their language. Now, notice he kept the marriage contracts together. The, the husband and wife still spoke the same language. He didn't split apart the marriage. No, he took those different family groups and they split to different parts of the world. Some went farther than the Middle East, some were still closer to the Middle East and so forth. But what that did is that split apart the gene pool. For example, if me and my wife, if somebody took us and just put us somewhere in the part of the world, and all of a sudden all of our descendants guess what? They would all look kind of like us because that's our gene pool, right? So that's what happened. That got split apart. People who ended up in Africa took genes for darker skin. People went to Europe, took genes for lighter skin. People went to the Orient, took genes for the almond-shaped eye. But you know what? We're all humans. Those are just variations. That's just split apart in the gene pool. Bodhi, could you maybe even unpack it a little more for, for those who may not? You know, we have folks who've never studied the Bible, never read anything. Could, could you back up just a tad? And... Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about the Tower of Babel and its repercussions. Um, and in fact, let's answer a famous question that leads up to that. You know, I've had people say, well, where did Cain get his wife? You know, Cain, Abel, <laughs> and Seth. And they say, well, where's all these... Where's all these girls they married? Well, Genesis 5, 4, if you get to Genesis chapter 5, it points out Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. So there were, there were boys and girls. And, and uh, I imagine that they were quite fertile. Yeah, they probably were because their bodies were perfect. Right. They, they probably didn't have, uh, you know, the genetic defects. You know, I, I've got some friends who, who can't have babies, you know, and it, it breaks my heart, breaks their hearts in many, many respects too. But that's due to sin and the curse and mutations that have happened. The gene pool in the beginning was perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really was. Now, originally brothers and sisters could marry. That was okay. Uh, if you look back, Abraham married his half-sister Sarah. Uh, Moses' father actually married his aunt Jochebed. And after Sarah died, he yeah. married Keturah, Keturah, I believe, his right. niece. Yeah. And so you have all these, uh, you know, close intermarriages. It wasn't until Leviticus chapter 18, Moses presenting the law, God said no more close intermarriage. Okay, so that all of a sudden- Because our genes were breaking that, down enough that that was gonna start, or right. had started causing problems. Right. And it makes a lot of sense. Like right now, you know, if I were to marry one of my, my two sisters, they're beautiful by the way, but I, that ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> You got that on camera, right? <laughs> but you know, um, you know, I could have the same genetic defects that she did because we got the same ones from mom and dad. And of course, if we had children, then it could show in the offspring. So it, it makes sense why we wouldn't want to do that to our children. So, you know, God said, hey, let's, let's not do that any longer. But before that, it was okay. So brothers and sisters could originally marry. Now, lead that up to the time of the flood. Okay, only eight people survived the flood. You know, you got three couples there and they're, they're brothers, right? You know, when you think about that. So all of them are also interrelated and all their children and grandchildren are all closely interrelated. And then we get to the events at the Tower of Babel where everyone starts to get split apart. Some remain right there at Babel. Some go as far as Egypt and Greece and, and different areas in Mesopotamia. Others continue out even farther. Those are where those early civilizations came from. We oftentimes think early civilizations, you think of Samaria or Mesopotamia. You think of the Indus Valley. You think of Egypt or Greece. Those are those areas in proximity, not too far uh, from where the Tower of Babel was. It makes sense why those were the early civilizations. But those are all different related people speaking different languages now but still interacting with each other. Others went farther. You know, some went all the way out to the Orient. Now, what's interesting, in Genesis chapter 10, it gives a breakdown of all these different family groups that have 
the, a, a new language. Now, I don't know if you're like me, you've been in a Bible study and you, you see what's coming and you're like, please don't call on me to read that chapter that's got all those names. <laughs> of course, it ends up, you're like, oh, how do I even pronounce these? Well, Genesis 10 is like that. You know, it's got some pretty odd names in there. But you look at those names and a lot of times we have no idea what those names are. I look at those names different now that I've studied the subject and researched these people. Those names are found all over the world. It's absolutely amazing. Are and sometimes they? you don't realize that. Uh, you know, I love the etymology of words. Right. Well, one of Noah's great-grandsons' name was Ashkenaz. Okay, Ashkenaz actually moved up just north of the Black Sea. The old name for the Black Sea was the Ashken Sea. So you see a reflection of that name. Well, he moved on up to Central Europe, and he founded the Germanic peoples. That included the English, the Dutch, the Scandinavians, and all that. Well, actually, that word Scandinavian, where does that word come from? Ascandinavia is a variation of Ashkenaz. So is the name a Saxon. That's where the name Saxon comes from. We say Anglos and Saxons and so forth. So you still see a reflection of that name. Every time you see Egypt in the Old Testament, the name behind that is Mitzrayim. That's actually one of Noah's grandsons. It's just called, Egypt is called by Noah's grandson. Canaan, the land of Canaan. Canaan is one of Noah's grandsons. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't sometimes put that together, but these are actual people uh, that have become names of places. We find that in places all over the world. And I document a lot of that in that book, The Tower of Babel, it really is fascinating. So here we are in planet Earth in a time when everything seemed like it's tearing apart, especially in the United States and certain other locales because of race. Mm -hmm. where, where does this go? And, and what, what should happens? a Christian response to it be? Well, I, I think we still need to deal with it head on. I mean, Christianity has the answer. You know, you go back to the Bible, there's one race. You know, we, that solves it right there. It's that easy. But a lot of people don't realize that. And I, I would suggest one of the main reasons is because they've been taught and conditioned by the world to believe a false worldview. So we have to deal with it at a worldview issue. I understand that a lot of my friends and colleagues, even in the science realm, if they've bought into the world's ideas on this, but sometimes I need to go back and say, hold on a second here. Scientifically, there's one race. They've been able to map the human genome, and guess what? Even the secular researchers out here go, wow, there's, there's only one race. That kind of surprised them uh, when that actually occurred. So, you know, when, when you look at the science, the science actually is a good confirmation of the scripture. It's just a lot of people don't realize that because, like I said, it's a worldview issue. People have bought into this secular humanistic worldview, believing that there are higher and lower races because they've been drilled with an evolutionary worldview. Um, I don't know if I, I won't mention his name, but a very revered Christian founder and leader, uh, I, I came across something that he had written about how it didn't really matter whether God created in, you know, literal six days or whether it was six eons, millions of years, God can do anything. He goes, it doesn't affect your relationship with God, which way you believe. But I think it does reflect, reflect your relationship to God, whether you believe in what he said in Genesis or whether you buy into the millions of years, it, it's kind of just an accident. Yeah, it, ma it makes their testimony very inconsistent, doesn't it? When they're saying, oh, well, you gotta follow Christ up here. Oh, but don't believe this part of the Bible. <laughs> you gotta reinterpret it. What it is, is, is a lot of Christians, and, and I, I, I say this with, with uh, uh, a kindness because I kind of did this a little bit when I was in college. Christians are taking what they read in the Bible and they're coming over to the world's ideas and trying to mix it. They're trying to put two different religions and they don't mix. So something has to give. And usually what happens, Christians start giving up the Bible. Maybe day doesn't mean a day. Maybe the evenings and mornings are, maybe Adam and Eve didn't exist. Those are the kind of things that, that people start doing. They start throwing out the Bible. 
They shouldn't do it that way. <laughs> the Bible should be the absolute authority. So I actually struggled with that because I didn't know. I'm like, well, did God create in six days? Here I was in science fields, you know, and I'm being taught and drilled with Big Bang and millions of years, and I didn't know how to deal with some of that. So I actually toyed with that idea, trying to mix the two. And I remember, uh, you know, reading, a, you know, this was from a, uh, a Christian guy who believed in Big Bang and millions of years. And I read his book right next to the Bible. And every time he mentioned Genesis or creation or what, I went back and read it. The whole thing in context, I, I read Genesis chapter one probably hundreds of times as a result of just going through this one book. And when I got to the end, I remember shutting his book and I said, if this is the best Christianity has, do I want to be a Christian? I remember thinking that, okay? And then I sat it down. I remember looking at the Bible, just sitting there. And you know what? God's never wrong. So God is right. This guy's wrong. But that was tough for me because I, I, I struggle with that issue. See, God is the one who's always right. God is and always right. And if we right. have an idea that doesn't match, guess who's gone off course? That's right. And you know what? That was tough for someone like me because I had to go, okay, I got to stop believing this. I got to stop believing. I got to get back to God and his work. And you know what? There is some academic pride in there. And it's, it's a struggle. You got to humble yourself and say, okay, Lord, you're the one that's right. But you know what? Once you get in that habit of going, God, you're always right. Guess what? I can read something in the Bible. Go, oh. Hold on a second. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying, God. I got this wrong. <laughs> but God, yeah. it's not just a matter of you either believe in science or you just go on blind faith that what God right. said is right. Because he gives us plenty of evidence that what oh, he says sure is right. Yeah, and see, a lot of people don't understand this. They, they, they don't realize that science is actually an incredible confirmation of the Bible. A lot of times people want to take science and they say, oh, well, that's the same thing as evolution. Big Bang. No, it's not. Science is observable and repeatable. It is a process. Nobody's observed or repeated the Big Bang or, or millions of years or evolution. Nobody's ever observed or repeated those things. That's part of a religion. See, science actually comes out of a worldview that is based on God and his word. And, and, and sometimes people don't quite get that. Let me explain that. Let me unpack that part for you. We don't have a lot of time, so you got to unpack it quickly. Okay, let me unpack that quickly. Okay, God is the one who sustains and upholds the world, and he has promised to do so in a particular way. That's what makes observable, repeatable science possible. Science actually comes out of a biblical worldview. And most fields of science were actually developed by Bible believers. Just real quickly, if you can give one minute counsel on people who are having trouble with this right now in their lives. Yeah, you know what? A lot of people I know have struggled with the issue of race. In fact, sometimes somebody may have been racist toward them, or sometimes they may have been racist to someone else. Sometimes they may not have realized it. But here, here's what I want people to gather out of that. The Lord is a forgiving God. Amen. Just repent. You know, don't be afraid to go to somebody and say, hey, you know what? I may have treated you wrong. Or if you can't find him, you know, ask God, hey, forgive me. And let's get back to God's word. Let's get back to the fact that there's only one race, the human race, and we're all related, and we're all stuck in this sudden problem together, but there's a solution in Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Folks, there isn't a racist bone in the body of God. God didn't create us as racist. There's, you just heard Bodhi say it, you know, there's one blood, one race, one humankind. We're all one family. We need to look to Jesus Christ and pray for this earth, pray for the United States and the world of what's going on right now, because the devil is having a field day. Bodie, thank you so much. Appreciate it. you guys. I'm yeah. so glad we got a chance to sit with you. All right. My grandmother was number 11 in a family of 13 girls, and she sometimes felt lost in the crowd. Do you ever feel that way? But there is someone who notices. If you'd like proof, go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org and request offer number 130 for this free pamphlet, There's Not Another You.
Thank you for watching. Join us again for another exciting country wisdom. See you next time.